Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. A little over three years ago now, in November 2018, I was joined by Bill Browder to discuss his campaign for sanctions against Vladimir Putin's Russia. Browder had been a successful businessman in Russia before he fell foul of the regime there and had been forced to leave the country. And when his lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, was murdered in police custody, Browder embarked on a crusade to persuade governments around the world, including the Irish government, to introduce the Magnitsky Act, which would freeze the assets of individuals associated with the crimes of Putin and his inner circle. Bill Browder, you're very welcome back to the podcast. I was listening back to our previous conversation and among the very interesting things you said was, you said that Vladimir Putin was in some ways the greatest advocate for the Magnitsky Act because it was his actions which very often drove its success. And you also said that Putin's instinct when he was under pressure was to play the war card both those uh, things seem particularly relevant today. Yeah, he, he's not that hard a guy to read, and he's not a, that hard a guy to predict. Um, uh, so first first of all, he's a person who never backs down, no matter how suicidal escalation would be for his own interests or the Russian national interest. And he's a guy who can never um, show any weakness. And And unfortunately, when he embarks on a major invasion of a country, that becomes a very dangerous scenario, and um, I'm I'm terrified about what's going to happen next to the Ukrainian people, and I'm terrified about what's going to happen next to the rest of the world because I don't think that Ukraine is the end of his uh, plans. Do you think, though, that um, a lot of people have suggested over the last few days that he's miscalculated here, um, that he has gone over his skis, I suppose, and that while he is successfully assessed the weakness of the potential response from the West to many of his actions in the past, he may just he may have got this one wrong. He got it totally wrong. He was assuming that the Ukrainians wouldn't put up a fight. And he was also assuming that the West wouldn't um, band together and create real serious consequences for him. And both things have turned out to be not true. The Ukrainians are putting up a valiant, unbelievable, and, and so far, at least in the first few days, successful fight and causing just untold damage and death to the Russian invaders. And the entire Western world has turned on, on Putin. 20 years worth of him dividing and conquering has all ended in 24 hours with a, uh, an incredible reaction from everybody. And that has changed so quickly. Less than a week ago, if you go back and look at the articles which were being published, say, on Tuesday of last week, there was a lot of criticism of the relatively mild sanctions which were being proposed across Europe and, and indeed in the United States. And then that turned on a dime, it seems to me. Is that, is that how you see it? Exactly how I see it. I'm, I, I was, you know, we started out <clears throat> on Tuesday with, what, and with the sanctions, which I would give a 2 out of 10 grade for. By Thursday, we got to 8 out of 10 when they added all the big Russian companies and banks and a few oligarchs 
On Friday, they added Putin and Lavrov. That gets us to a nine out of 10. And, uh, and now they're talking about doing the oligarchs and SWIFT. And I wouldn't give it a full 10 out of 10 because the SWIFT only applies to 70% of the banks and the Russians will start using the other 30% right away. And the oligarchs haven't been done yet because they ha- they've just said that's the intention, but I have not seen a list of high-powered oligarchs that we want to see sanctioned. But, but we're moving almost perfectly in the right direction. And, and even what's, with what's been done so far, it's had a devastating effect on Putin, on the oligarchs, and on the general society in Russia. Are, are you sub- surprised by the speed of that change? I ask because when last we talked, uh, you talked about the, you know, the challenges which you'd faced in trying to get the Magnitsky Act uh, introduced in various countries and uh, including in the, in the EU as a whole. And you were, you, were, you were facing a sort of a slow motion resistance, an attempt to just bog things down in bureaucratic um, paperwork to, to avoid actually taking any action. And also in certain places, I think it's fair to say uh, um, a suspicion that there was a deeper financial interest verging on corruption in some societies. People point, point a lot about point a lot towards, for example, London as the laundromat for dirty Russian money. Given all that, are you subscri- surprised by how quickly things have changed in the last few days? Yeah, I'm, 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 my mind, my head is spinning. My head is spinning. First of all, I was surprised that Putin would invade Ukraine. I, I, you know, he's always had one foot in the civilized world and one foot in the criminal world and always sort of um, had this balancing act, which allowed him to have all these apologists and people bogging me down in my efforts um, and he, in 24 hours, by invading Ukraine, all the people, um, you know, by going to the criminal world, he he lost all those people that, that he, all, all these sort of intermediate um, apologists and appeasers that he had. And um, I'm amazed that these countries like Germany, which was so desperately trying to, to trying to appease him, you know, now supplying weapons and, and uh, cutting off the Russian airspace and sanctioning oligarchs and even Switzerland, like the most immoral, amoral country around is, uh, uh, you know, f- freezing assets of Russian, of Russians. It's, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. But if you're surprised, why do you think it's happened? Is it just the sheer brazenness and the, 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 the brutality of the invasion? Exactly. It's, you know, Ukraine didn't pick a fight. Ukraine was just minding its own business. And Russia, uns- uh, unprovoked, goes into Ukraine with a false narrative, and then is perpetrating the most heinous, unforgivable, unbelievable violence against uh, civilians, innocent people that that had that d- didn't ask for any of this. It's just so unprovoked. It's it's such an unbelievable situation, and and you just and you know all these people who were you know trying to appease Putin for many years have realized that that the appeasement didn't work. All of a sudden. He's at war and the war is moving west. And, you know, once it's done with, once he's done with Ukraine, you know, he'll be, uh, you know, Poland will be the front line. Is it our fault in the West that we let this get so far that um, that a whole number of governments put up with all kinds of things that, that, you know, at the time, you know, were extraordinary. The idea of people being murdered in these bizarre ways on their on their own territory the the egregious abuses of human rights the various criminal enterprises and the fact that many governments let that go more or less for many years is a really major contributory factor to why we are where we are now no question 
So R- Russia invaded Georgia in 2008. <clears throat> we could have just put a stop to all this right then and there. We could have opposed, imposed all these sanctions then and there. And um, he would have then had to calculate, does he want to ruin his economy um, to do further stuff? And then he went into Crimea. And again, we didn't do anything. He shot down a passenger plane with 298 innocent civilians. Nothing. He, he, he perpetrated a, uh, an assassination with Novichok in Salisbury, but they had to close the entire town down. Nothing. And so, of course, it's totally our fault. We, we, we've just empowered him to just do more and more. And he was of the impression that we would do nothing now. He miscalculated, but we gave him every piece of information for his miscalculation. It strikes me looking at what's happened over the last few days um, uh, that the Americans, I think, took the lead. I think it's fair to say on some of these measures. And now it's looking as we speak on Monday afternoon as if the uh, the actions which it's taken against Russia's central banks' assets held overseas seem to be having a, a really serious impact on the ruble, and that may well be a you know a, a really significant factor in the in in the days to come. Um, but as you say, the unusual thing that's happened is the Germans, first of all, they they froze the Nord Stream two pipeline opening, and they have really pivoted the, the Germans in particular really quickly from their their traditional position on these issues. And I was reading with interest an article which went up on a on a Russian government website uh, by accident apparently a couple of days ago, which really set out the theory of the case from um, from from Putin's point of view: the reestablishment of a greater Russia, the the uh, the righting of the wrongs of nineteen ninety one complete um, contempt for any idea that that Ukraine has any sovereignty itself, and also an argument that France and Germany and the EU as a whole would be split off or had split off from what what this article saw as the Anglo-Saxon view, and that therefore Russia could take advantage of that divide in its in its drive to to build, I think, what was called a multipolar world in which presumably the traditional Russian sphere of influence would be would be reasserted. Um, so, in a way, within all that complexity, um, it seems to me you can read within that that the Biden administration over the last few weeks has played its cards as well as it could have given the circumstances. Well, I, I think that that <clears throat> I have a lot of criticism of the Biden administration. And um, uh, a lot. But in this particular case, I think they played their cards perfectly. And the main card that they played, and this was so important, was instead of keeping the intelligence to themselves, they knew what was going to happen with this invasion. They shared it and they kept on beating the drum and beating the drum and beating the drum. And by the time the Russians invaded, there was no other narrative other than it was an invasion. If you go back to Georgia, there's like still people that say, well, you know, the Georgians started firing first and, and uh, you know, in, in, in Eastern Ukraine, all sorts of other arguments like that. There's no argument that could, could be made here. And so the entire world was faced with, with a, a terrible, uh, you know, tyrant and, and, and no other narrative other than he's a terrible tyrant. And, and so there was no, no way that anyone could not take the, the, the right position here. And that was beautifully handled by, by the Biden administration. And then they started leading on the sanctions. But interestingly, it wasn't the U.S. who wanted to sanction Putin and Lavrov. It was the EU that, that came out ahead. They were leading on that one, which I, which I found to be remarkable and amazing. And, um, and, the, and so, I mean, it's, I, I've spent a decade going back and forth to Brussels, dealing with the most infuriating bureaucrats who 
you know, used, used the most annoying politeness techniques to just shuffle me out of their office every time I wanted to talk about sanctioning Russia. And here they are, you know, pretty much, you know, on the same page as me now. It's remarkable. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you look at the Vladimir Putin who we've seen in recent days in his various, to my mind, really rather disturbing and extraordinary uh, appearances on television, is that the same Vladimir Putin who you saw when you started your campaign more than 10 years ago? Vladimir Putin, um, is this is the same Vladimir Putin that, that I've always known. He's just facing a different set of circumstances. He's been a dictator for 22 years, and the Russian people haven't gotten better off under him. They've gotten worse off. He's looking across his border and seeing 18 months ago, the Belarusian uh, dictator that people tried to overthrow Lukashenko, and it was only because Putin sent his own troops in to protect him. Just a few months ago, the Kazakh dictator, Nazarbayev, was overthrown. And so Putin is, he sees the writing on the wall and he says to himself, you know, they're going to come for me next. And so what do you do if you're a dictator of 22 years and, and you're, you're worried about being overthrown by your people? You start a war. It's like straight out of the dictator's playbook. And so that's what this is all about. And um, I don't see a different Vladimir Putin. He uses a different language. He looks a little more desperate, but this is the same guy who has always been around maximizing on his own self-interest, which is stealing money and staying in power. And I don't actually even pay attention to the words he says in these articles and these speeches. He's just a con man. He's a, he's, he's a liar. He's an inveterate liar. And so one shouldn't even waste time reading the words that he says, because they're all lies. He's like the Tinder swindler, not a, not a, an honest word comes out of his mouth. All you have to do is look at what he does and what his incentives are, and it all makes sense. He's a guy who's stolen an enormous amount of money. He's let the Russian people rot um, while well, he and all of his oligarch cronies are all in yachts and private jets and villas. And he's trying to keep the money that he's stolen. He wants to stay in power until the end of his natural life. And a war is the best way to do that. And so it's obvious to me what this is all about, which is just desperate desperate actions of a of a man who's no longer welcomed by his people and and yet while accepting all that again when i when i look at those those television moments that the address about a week ago to the russian people that strange event that he had um in the in the hall in moscow with his uh his officials um it it looked like somebody who was slightly unhinged which was not something i would have thought about putin before I'm not sure I'd, I'd call it unhinged. I would call it desperate, scared, and and you know, and he and going for a big gamble. 
he, he, I mean, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't in his own mind. If he doesn't, he thinks he's going to get overthrown and thrown in jail and die. If he does, he may not win this war. There's all sorts of all sorts of uncertainties, and and he could end up getting overthrown, thrown in jail, and dying. So it's it's a scary time for him. You know, poor Vladimir Putin has kind of run out run out of road, and now he's trying to do crazy stuff to to stay there. That's that's really where he, he's at. The the Magnitsky Act was predicated on an idea of putting intolerable pressure on the people, the, the elites around Putin. Um, by by freezing their assets and making their their life in the West, which they valued a lot, uh, unpleasant or intolerable. Im- implicit in that is, well, am I right in saying the hope or the aspiration of some form of regime change initiated by those elites? I wonder how likely that is now. I, I've never thought that the purpose of the Magnitsky Act was um, to cause re- regime change. My, my 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 intention was always that. If you go after the oligarchs, you go after the people with the money, um, you're, you're kind of hitting, hitting them in a very targeted way where it counts and, hitting, and, and, and effectively hitting Vladimir Putin where it counts. And the objective now, I don't think, is, is regime change. I don't think you're ever going to see a scenario where the people or, or the oligarchs rise up and overthrow Putin. It might happen, but it, I don't think that that's the likely outcome. And I don't think that that's the, 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 a good reason for sanctions. I think the reason for sanctions is that Vladimir Putin is operating as a rational person where he gets a reward for doing what he's doing, and there's a risk to doing what he's doing. The reward, as I mentioned before, is that this cements his place in power. And the risk, on one hand, is the military risk, which we're all watching on television you know, day in and day out, which is not going well for him. And then there's a financial risk, and it's our job you know, it's the Ukrainian soldier's job to, to create military risk. And it's our job in the West to create financial risk and financial cost to this man. And, and, and he's, he, he has to do his calculations. When does it become not worth it? Now, unfortunately for us, once he's embarked on this thing, um, he's a guy who doesn't know how to back down. And so there's no easy way out. And, and we shouldn't even be thinking about offering him a way out. He's got to figure that out for himself. There's no, we shouldn't be trying to like give him an off ramp. You don't give off ramps to people who've invaded countries. He should find his own way out of this whole thing. But the best thing we can do right now is just make it as absolutely painfully costly as we possibly can make it for him. So he, he, um, he, so he, he really doesn't, so there's no upside to doing this anymore. But is it entirely about him? So, for example, if we do put pressure on, and I, I know you, um, you pointed to the sanctions which were introduced by the United States in 2018 against oligarchs like Oleg Deripaska, who actually had some financial interests in 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 Ireland as well, um, as, as the right way to 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 put pressure on Russia. The implication of that is that pressure on the oligarchs ends up as pressure on Putin and affects Putin's behaviour. Deripaska has been reported in Western newspapers in the last day or so as making unsupportive noises. I would say no more than that, but not entirely supportive noises about, about, the, about the invasion. Is there any sign of, of, of any kind of a split or a divide in the elites? And if, if so, how do you think that would play out? So, um, first of all, the reason you go after the elites is not because they're going to pressure Putin. You go after the elites because they hold Putin's money. So I'm not going to name names because all these people spend all of their, spend huge amounts of legal fees going after people like me for naming their names. But let's just say the oligarchs, on uh, most of them, 
are trustees for Vladimir Putin. And the reason you want us to freeze their assets is you're effectively freezing Putin's assets. And so when you have these guys making tepid noises saying they're against the war or not for the war, it's not about um, them uh, having any view on the war or going up against Putin. The reason they're saying that is try to protect their assets and Putin's assets. I suppose the thing I wonder is in terms of what you're saying about the psychology of Vladimir Putin, that he never backs down, uh, he never takes a step back, and he's now trapped. That's a slightly terrifying kind of a picture to paint of somebody who controls one of the biggest nuclear arsenals in the world. And, I mean, from what you're saying, if, for example, these talks, which seem to me to be largely performative that are happening at the moment between Ukrainian and Russian officials, in the unlikely event that they led to some kind of withdrawal, that that would so undermine Putin that he things would be over for him anyway, wouldn't they? So I suppose my question is, what's our end game? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you've pretty much put put the nail on the head of the issue here, which is, um, it, it is terrifying. There is there is no way for him to back down. Uh, I would just completely discard any talk, any peace talks as complete nonsense. Um, and it's it, it there really is no way um, for him to back down. He just has to keep on expanding. And the only thing that we can we can do is is just make it really difficult for him to expand. And so he doesn't have the money to do it, or he, he you know, he's run out of military hardware, or or um, he's so embroiled in his current conflict he can't go further because it's there's no there's no reasoning with the guy. And as you said, if he were to like walk away, he would lose his power in a minute because the purpose of doing this was to stay in power. And so it's a terrifying situation and it's a horrible situation. And just because it's terrifying and horrible and, and it's hard to think about, doesn't mean it's not true. And I think we should brace ourselves and prepare ourselves from, for really horrible things in the future, because that's who this guy is. And, and I pray for the Ukrainian people and I, I mourn for them because I know that what's going to happen next is going to be just heartbreaking. So there is no way out, really, is there? I mean, if there's, you know, if there's a stalemate in the current conflict or, God forbid, it escalates and there's more, there's kind of a Grozny-type situation happening with Ukrainian cities, or indeed, if Russia, as is completely possible, manages to overrun Kiev and set up some kind of puppet government, that's clearly going to be entirely unstable. Uh, it, it, it shows all the signs of being a future Vietnam or Afghanistan for the for for the Moscow government, and so we are now embarking on a on an era of of, of real danger, aren't we? We are, and and when when he's done with Ukraine, um, that's not where it ends. I mean, his his big plan is to then challenge NATO, to say, go to the Ukrainian or go to the Estonian border, and then say to the Americans, are you ready to go to war with me for a country that most Americans couldn't locate on a map and have never heard of? And and after seeing that we, the Americans, um, allowed the Afghanistan to fall to the Taliban for the sake of three thousand troops, he's made a he's made a bet to, that he thinks he's probably right that that we uh, we wouldn't, and then he'd have the full full former Soviet Union back in place again. So far, and it's very early days, and we're in the fog of war and all those kinds of things, it doesn't look as if, it, it, it looked originally as if he expected, or 
the Russian military and Putin expected that Ukraine would fall easily, perhaps lulled by their own propaganda about the nature of resistance to Russia in in Ukraine. And we've all seen the nature of that resistance over the over the last few days. It doesn't seem likely that there'll be an, e- an easy toppling of the Kiev regime and then onwards and upwards to Tallinn and Riga and Vilnius, does it? Well, I mean, that's what we have to hope for. <clears throat> we should understand that um, in addition to our moral sympathy for the Ukrainians, which I have a lot of, we, they are doing us an enormous service by keeping the Russian, by, by, by being the buffer, by fighting off the Russians so that we don't have to. Uh, they're, and, and they're fighting well. And particularly well, given how outgunned and outmanned they are, and we should do everything in our power, militarily, with with weapons, with financial support, with medical support, with everything, to give them the best shot at fighting these Russians off. And and it, it, you're right; it's not going well for for Putin. And and it's interesting because it's it's this is a, a, a terrifying outcome for him if if. All of a sudden, he looks weak. He looks weak right now. If they can't actually succeed in Ukraine, he looks weak. And so, even more than the military objectives of, of you know, putting in a puppet government or whatever, he's got to overcome this perception that he's weak. All these burned out tanks and everything it looks terrible for him, and it makes him, you know, not that much of a force to be reckoned with. And and. And he, he doesn't really have much else. All I mean, what does he have? He has an economy the size of the state of New York. He has a military, which, by the way, the military budget of Russia is the same as the military budget of the UK. And by the way, and 80% of that gets stolen. So he's got this weak military of un, uninspired, unprofessional soldiers, outdated equipment. You know, they're, they're trying to fight a, a war based on techno, war technology of 20 or 30 years ago. You know, the... Um, Javelin missiles ruin any chance of having a tank war. The 14,000 tanks that the Russians have are no longer useful because, um, thank God, we supplied the Ukrainians with the Javelin missiles. They now have Stinger missiles. They can shoot all sorts of planes and helicopters out of the sky. And so all of a sudden, you know, Putin's looking kind of weak. And, and that's terrifying because he can't stand looking weak and he can't afford to look weak. Because everything that he's been doing now, um, everything he's done for the, for the longest time is about this perception of his strength, which doesn't seem to be as high as the, the, or the reality is not as high as the perception. So I'm wondering, listening to all that, why you think that if, if things continue to go badly for him, why you don't think there is some possibility of him being toppled, whether it's the oligarchs or this kind of KGB state, um, which, which, which he built around him of the, the, the sort of the officials, the security officials and those kind of people. And I know they all blur into each other, but that, at the, you know, some of those presumably are to some extent rational actors. And at some point they might want to cut their losses with them. Well, um, you're making one huge assumption that things continue to go badly for him. I mean, he, he's actually, I mean, by, by Putin's standards, been relatively restrained. If you watched the, the actions in Syria, they were just indiscriminately bombing hospitals and children and women and refugees and all this kind of stuff. Or if you look at how they behaved in Chechnya, where they just leveled it flat, he has the capacity to do just unbelievable damage. And unfortunately... I think he'll be motivated to do that because he's got to look strong. And, and that's why my heart bleeds for Ukraine right now. So that's a very grim outlook which you've given us because it seems to me 
it's either a sort of a scorched earth policy in Ukraine, or am I right in saying, um, or indeed in addition to that, ultimately a confrontation, a direct confrontation between the NATO countries and Russia? Yeah, sadly, that's that's the that's the case. I mean, that that is that's what we're faced with now. Things can, may not work out the way he wants them to, and maybe he even goes crazier, and um, and maybe maybe NATO gets involved. I mean, there's all sorts of scenarios that 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 can happen in Ukraine, and I, I can't predict all the outcomes. All I can say is I know Putin, and he can't stand looking weak. He never backs down. He's got a lot of a, a lot of um, arrows in his quiver in terms of nastier stuff to do. And that's entirely within character for him to do that. A last question to you, Bill. The campaign that you've been running for, for the last decade or more, is that have we moved to a new phase now? Is that campaign, or at least the sort of the detail of it, is that over? Have we moved now to a new phase of history in terms of the relationship between Russia and the rest of Europe? Well, we haven't implemented my campaign yet. What we need to do is freeze the assets of Putin and all the people around him. Once that's done, then then this is you know we, we've we've used that tool, and we have to see what else we can do to co- to cause him trouble. We'll leave it there, Bill Browder. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks to Bill for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Uh, we'll be back with you very soon. Remember, you can contact us with your views at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But we'll be back very soon. And until then, thanks very much for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.